Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Bang! That's what's up. Starting off with a bang. Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to season four of She Builds Podcast, where we tell stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Season four. Here we are, ladies. What do you guys think? Yay! <laughs> I'm so happy to be here and. So thankful to all the listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, listeners, for continuing to follow us and to listen. Yes. So like in the previous seasons, we usually have a running theme throughout. And for this season, we will be discussing critics, theorists, educators, and all things academia. We have some exciting episodes ahead. Yeah, we do. Yes. I'm really looking forward to diving into these subjects. Yes. All right. Before we get this season started, we also have some more exciting news to share. Dot, 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 dot. Ooh, suspense. What is it? <laughs> she Built's podcast is now a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. <gasps> Yay! Yay! Yeah, 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 yeah. So Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Yeah, there are so many new things that we hope will excite you all this season. So be sure to stay tuned for all of it. You don't want to miss it. So on this week's episode, we will talk about Ada Louise Huxtable, a New York Times critic whose writing influenced the profession and let the general people know the architecture was cool. Mm -hmm. It's your girl. I'm Jessica Rogers, happily growing a tomato plant on my balcony based out of Washington, D.C. Hey, girl. Hey, I'm Lizzie Rar, quilting up a storm in San Francisco. And I'm Nergiri Rivas, needing to get back into bullet journaling from Houston, Texas. All right. Now for our disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. 
If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, leave us a comment, and we will all continue learning. All right, so let's get into it. We will begin in one of the best months of the year, March. A fellow March queen was born on March 14th, 1921, by the name of Ada Louise Landman. Her parents were Leah Rosenthal Landman, and her father was Dr. Michael Lewis Landman. You guys almost shared a birthday. Yeah, almost. (laughs) So, So with Ada's father being a doctor, they were considered to be just a middle class family that lived comfortably in New York's Upper West Side. Sounds nice. Yeah. So her first introduction to the Times publication and perhaps architecture was when the Times saw her stage work during her time at Hunter College. Wait, Hunter College? Isn't that the school that Norma Scaleric went to? Our season one lady? Same campus, but different school. Norma went to Hunter College High School. Ada went to the college college. Close, but no cigar. Huh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So they have a high school and a college with the same name. Actually, they have several schools on their campus, which I just found out researching Ada. So Ada went to the Hunter College College, and there she did stage designs for the Hunter College productions of The Yellow Jacket in 1940 and the HMS Pinafore play in 1941. Ada graduated from Hunter College in 1941, majoring in art. And shortly after that, she started working at Bloomingdale's selling the furniture by the works of Mr. Aero Saarinen and Charles Eames. Oh, she was trading in some fancy designs. Uh-huh. I didn't remember that Aero Saarinen designed furniture. So maybe we should mention who these guys are for our listeners. Oh, good idea. Okay, well, Aero Saarinen was a Finnish-American architect and industrial designer. Actually, when we go visit Jessica, we arrive at his design, the Washington Dulles International Airport. But since we're talking about his furniture, he had a lot of famous collaborations with Knoll, you know, the famous furniture company, and Charles Eames, you know, the famous designer. Right. (laughs) So Charles Eames was an American architect and furniture designer, among other things. He and his wife, Ray, collaborated on many things, including the famous Eames chair, which if you Google it, you'll probably recognize. (laughs) For sure. So Ada loved architecture. During her time at Hunter, she loved visiting the Avery Architectural Library at Columbia University and working at the Bloomingdale Furniture Showroom definitely aided that when she would show other architecture aficionados the works by Ames and Saarinen. Yeah, I can see how that would pique your interest in architecture. There's something kind of highbrow about these famous designers. And then hearing that their work was sold at a department store kind of doesn't add up. Yeah, I think today we think of the department store as being kind of run of the mill. But back then, department stores were kind of highbrow. Oh, that's true. Like Velvet. Mm-hmm. Yes, like that Netflix show. Exactly. But to your point, Nergy, I like to think of architecture or architects showcasing their work through furniture through these big stores as exposure for the masses. Mm, that's true. But hey, people got to do what they got to do. And as for Ada, she said of her time working there, many young architects and designers made the obligatory tour of the rooms. One of them noticed and married me. Yep. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. Yes, just casual. So while working those Bloomingdale furniture streets, Ada met her husband, L. Garth Huxtable, who was an industrial designer. What? <laughs> yep, casual. Yeah, that sounds everyday <laughs> to you. Sure, when you sell Saranen and Eames furniture, that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, obviously. How could I not have known? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about this dating thing all wrong. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Ada, while married to the industrial designer, casually pursued graduate work at the Institute of Fine Arts at NYU. Everything this lady does is so casual. Casual. <laughs> Very casual. So <laughs> while at NYU, she was majoring in art and architectural history. But, spoiler alert, she didn't graduate from there. Oh, oh, oh. keeping us on our toes. What's gonna happen? Ooh. Well, word on the street is that the school rejected her thesis topic, which was called Modernism in Italian Post-War Architecture. Say what? Oh. Perché? Ada appeared to have been interested in exploring the unknown areas of architecture and the big heads of academia didn't seem to like that. It definitely gave me some fountainhead vibes. How rude. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But she did end up securing a job in 1946 as an assistant curator of architecture and design at the Museum of Modern Art. During that time, she worked with Philip Johnson, who was the curator there during that time. Wow, that's so cool. She's getting exposed to lots of big names. Yes, Philip Johnson. That's a big name in architecture, especially in Houston. I don't remember if we've discussed him on the podcast before. He's very hit or miss for me. But to throw out some projects, let's go with the Bank of America building in Houston. That one's pretty nice. The architecture school at the <laughs> University of Houston. The Glass House in Connecticut, which we visited, so maybe we mm -hmm. could drop some pictures on the social medias. Mm -hmm. And the Seagram's building in New York. That makes me wonder, what did Ada think about Philip? <laughs> well, Ada thought Philip was really smart and with a keen eye, but his convictions on architecture? Not so much, which is fascinating. Yeah. Which convictions of his was she not feeling? She found his convictions to be very shallow. Oh. However, yeah, she said it. However, working under him now, that's where she really got immersed with the works of Mies and other architects. There, she was able to learn about modernism, assessing the quality of art, how you should address and inform the public, and all the while developing a discerning eye and cunning astuteness that would translate to the rest of her career. Well, it sounds like she learned a lot about how to critically think about art and architecture from him, which I suppose makes a good curator. I totally feel Ada. I remember not liking Philip when we learned about him in school, but <laughs> now I know why. <laughs> <laughs> the, she's validated uh, it for you yes thank yes. you ada his shallow convictions shallow <laughs> convictions <laughs> well ada would work at the museum for four years then in 1950 ada became a fulbright fellow that's great 
For those who might not know, Fulbright Fellows from the U.S. get to go study or do research abroad for up to a year in a particular subject. Yes. So Ada would study post-war Italian architecture in Rome from 1950 through 1952. During that time, she would meet Bruno Zevi, who influenced her views on architecture as space. Oh, snap! Bruno Sevi was an Italian architect, historian, professor, curator, author, and probably a bunch more other things that we don't have time to mention right now. <laughs> Bruno started the weekly magazine A Attualità, Architettura, Abitazione, Arte with Lina Bobardi. Future episode alert! I miss Italian. A Attualità, Abitazione. <laughs> okay. Well, then in 1958, Ada would continue her explorations as a Guggenheim Fellow, studying American architecture. Well, I should say studying and criticizing, because also in 1958, Ada wrote an article in the New York Times magazine criticizing how newspapers covered urban development. She wrote, Superblocks are built, the physiognomy and services of the city changed. Without discussion, architecture is the stepchild of the popular press. Ooh, this kind of sounds like Jane Jacobs to me. And a sprinkle of Fountainhead in there, too, with popular opinion and the press negatively influencing the built environment. Don't you think? I agree. That's that's a, there's a lot going on there, but she's definitely <laughs> giving me Jane Jacobs vibes for sure. It's interesting that you say that because... Through Jane Jacobs, that's how I heard about Ada Louise Huxtable. But Ooh. I'm getting ahead of myself. Anecdotally, in 1959, alongside her hubby, Ada and Elle Garth collaborated to design the tableware for the Four Seasons restaurant that was located in the Seagram's building. Are we calling him Elle Garth? <laughs> Who's Elle Garth? I don't know. What is her? That's her husband. <laughs> Well, it sounded remember. weird when you said and Elgarth. Elgarth. <laughs> like, like Elgar it was all one name. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Elgartho. Elgartho. Les Garth. Lagarth. Las Garth. Are you going to keep this discussion? I think you should. Maybe. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> Hopefully you do, because in this time that you guys have been discussing this name, I Googled this design wear thing and this is so fancy it went for eleven hundred dollars hello i feel like what? i would not be eating with that it would just be on display in my kitchen okay. yeah that tableware is for display only it is not for use uh-uh mm -mm. note you can look but do not touch Ooh, no touching <laughs> Well, the year after that, in 1960, Ada wrote her first book on the Italian engineer architect Pierluigi Nervi. This book was a part of a series of scholarly books. Yeah, go Ada! Brava! I just love that people started scholarly learning from Ada. <laughs> so this book was able to do a lot of things for her. One, it gave her some writing cred, but more importantly, by writing about an engineer, she will begin to better understand the structural logic of a building, assessing what she believed was basic to good architecture. 
I love this. She's learning all the things and making a name for herself. It sounds kind of duh that structure is important to good design, but not everyone knows the basics. This helped her so much that the following year, she was asked to write a guidebook on modern architecture in New York City. Hot diggity dang. That sounds legit. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah, it does. Is her guidebook still available? Can we get it? Where can we find it? Oh, yeah. Can I use it? Where is it? Can I have it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, damn it, Jessica. <laughs> I am not an expert by any means, so if we get our facts a little mixed up, please let us know and we will all continue learning. Fine. That came back to bite me. <laughs> yeah, it did. Google it. Google it. Also, New York City probably changed so much by the time her guidebook was written. So is it even relevant? I don't know. But it's but like collector's item. Are you saying that Ada's not relevant? No, yeah, what are you saying? What you saying? I'm not saying that she isn't relevant. What you I'm say? saying that the building probably isn't that relevant. Anyway, the important thing <laughs> is that by writing this book is where Ada really began to create her own definition of what architecture was. Ada believed that aesthetics were essential, but only part of the equation as structure and function mattered. Like, for example, Ada loved the Seagram building and the Lever House. It both were new buildings at the time, but Ada hated the Pan Am building, later to be known as the MetLife building. Form follows function. Life mantra. I was thinking (laughs) the same thing. But what was it about the Pan Am building that she disliked? Was it the aesthetics or the functionality? Um, I think it was both. The aesthetic that was going in New York that I will talk about a little later. And it cooked up the function of the space. <laughs> totally disruptive. Ada didn't like that the building was fucking huge <laughs> for one. <laughs> It was going to put a burden on 25,000 office workers. The pedestrian flow and the transportation facilities in that, you know, that Grand Central Station area. (laughs) I feel like if people were playing a drinking game, listening to our podcast, you just got them drunk. Exactly. Yes. There are strong. Fucking up the game. There's a lot of strong (laughs) feelings happening right now. I mean, Ada was a powerful critic. We're just hitting the surface. Oh, so these are her words is what you're saying. Not exactly. Sort of her sentiments. uh, I see. Yeah, her sentiments, you know. (laughs) Ada was a classy lady. I feel like I don't know enough enough stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should quack too to join this party. (laughs) (laughs) Well, going back to what Ada was saying... I feel like I don't know enough about this project to share an informed opinion about it, but I do find her arguments and her sentiments as conveyed by Jessica very compelling. (laughs) No, I agree. I feel like I just know it as being there and I would assume that it functions now, but I don't know how things were before it was built, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Ada was brave, y'all. So if you didn't know... Walter Gropius was one of the collaborators at the Pan Am building. And during this time, his career was popping. He was a modernist architect in the making and the head of Harvard GSD at the time. 
Ada would say that this building was antisocial in character, <gasps> that it contradicted Gerbius's teachings, and that it threatened dire consequences for the urban environment. Oh, okay. So she was throwing out some fighting words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to start walking around identifying antisocial buildings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and an antisocial building tour. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. And I really like how she called Walter Gropius out on the hypocrisy between his theories and practice. Go, girl. Yes, finger snaps. Ada was strong in her convictions and the importance of architecture. In an article for the New York Times magazine titled The Art We Cannot Afford to Ignore But Do, she argues the impact on how architecture can have in shaping the environment. Of course, for better or for worse, architecture leaves a very lasting impact on not only the built environment, but our culture and daily life in ways we don't even realize. So it's totally something that we should not be ignoring, but a lot of people do. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that when it's good, you don't notice it as much, but when it's not good, it affects a lot of people and a lot of things. So I think we often don't pay enough attention to those things until they're bad. Architecture, such a thankless job. If we do it well, no one notices. If we do it wrong, lawsuits. Ooh. Or or worse. The, oh. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, we know. So, um, <laughs> so what you have to understand is that during that time, Ada was witnessing these modern office towers taking over what once were these beautiful and elegant masonry hotels and apartments. That must have been a shock. This totally new change of material and especially in scale. Yeah, I didn't consider that this must have been a lot to take in at that time. Yeah, that's so true. I can see why modernism had such pushback. It was not like a slow easing in from the more ornate styles to this clean, unadorned style. Ada believed that architecture as a social art that had an unequivocal impact on the lives of the people and the city at large. Agreed. We're all going to be looking at it. True that. Now, around 1963, Ada was asked to be an architecture critic for the New York Times. But get this, she turned them down. Say what? Oh, snap. Mm -hmm. What? Ada thought daily journalism would disrupt her private life. Eventually, she did join the New York Times. My guess, though, it was because homie Clifton Daniel, the assistant managing editor at the time, begged for her to join. Even though he looked for others, he just couldn't find anyone better than she was. That's right. That's great. And I really hope that she found that elusive work-life balance that we're all searching for. Ooh, yes. Mm -hmm. I hope she negotiated that out. Well, okay. but. We'll get to that in a minute. But can we like pause for a second here and just talk about the magnitude that this was? Now, of course, we have talked about other writers in the past, like season one, Mariana Van Rensselaer, Jen Jacobs in season three. Yeah, totally. This was huge. I mean, not just anyone becomes a successful writer and then is begged to join the New York Times. Imagine the huge reach that she had and the impact of her work. Just amazing. Yeah, she was clearly sought after and respected as a writer. 
I mean, Ada was following after other architecture critics like Louis Mumford, Aline <laughs> B. Saarinen, Montgomery Schuyler, but Ada was going to be a full-time writer for a general interest newspaper. How crazy is that? Yeah, she was in the field with the heavy hitters and not only holding her weight, she was admired and respected. What a great role model. Yes, so proud of her for breaking into that. Yes, I have to say this because like most professions, this must have been really rare for women writers. Nan Robertson, who I was referring to earlier, she was the historian for the New York Times. She compared Ada to another full-time columnist, Anne O'Hare McCormick, and was a foreign affairs columnist popping at the time. So Nan Robertson says that both women were, quote, so good, they could not be ignored by the men who ran the establishment and so personally assertive that they would not be ignored. Ain't nobody put an Ada in a corner. Damn right. Mm-hmm. So what finally brought Ada around to joining the New York Times was her, quote, belief that the quality of the built world mattered at a time when environment was still a dictionary word. This sounds very Silent Spring. Maybe she was friends with Rachel Carson. Oh, yeah, I could see that connection. And you're right. I think that was around the same time. Mm -hmm. Probably. I mean, Ada was phenomenal. She was really passionate about preservation. Her criticism of the demolition of Penn Station in 1963 was made famous by Jackie O and architectural oh. forum editor Douglas Haskell. I mean, some architects feared her. She was loathed by developers and scholars were like, what I was about her? Okay. I kind of love that she was putting people in their place and that people were nervous about what she'd think of their work. It forces people to be more considerate of their design. Mm-hmm. Her reputation was so well known that she even became a cartoon for The New Yorker in 1968. So cartoonist Alan Dunn drew a construction site, but it only had one steel column standing. And then standing there was a construction worker with a hard hat telling the architect, Ada Louise Huxtable already doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, she had reach. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. So architects like Robert Stern, Thomas Mellons, David Fishman would call Ada a darling of the public. Well, I'm glad to know she didn't just make enemies. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> yeah. Ada would win some awards, too, because, you know, she's awesome. Of course. Like in 1970, she would win a Pulitzer Prize for Distinguished Criticism, the first to do so in her field, by the way. And just a couple years after that, she got elevated to the editorial board for The Times, becoming just a Sunday column writer, which was good for her because, you know, the work-life balance. And she had more recognition and less pressure from the daily writing. What an amazing achievement. I can't stop saying wow with this lady. I know. <laughs> it's so awesome that she won the Pulitzer. And good for her for getting into the Sunday Times. Mm -hmm. And we know how important that personal life is. Mm -hmm. So in 1981, Ada became a MacArthur Grant Fellow, which allowed her to leave the Times and just write and be living the dream. Although 
I would not like to write and be. Writing stresses me out. I think you would like to <laughs> quilt and be. Correct. That sounds much better. Yeah. Well, Ada sure did be. <laughs> Ada did so much and I can go into so much detail. I feel like Ada ran so that Jane Jacobs could fly if you catch my drift. Yeah, I said it. Homegirl didn't walk. She ran in her critiques, her writings and her convictions. Why do you think that? Hmm. Well, to put it into perspective about her work, Paul Goldberger, the successor of Ada in the New York Times, he quotes, Before Ada Louise Huxtable, architecture was not a part of the public dialogue. So after Ada, architectural criticism became a staple at big newspapers and a constant thread for subsequent Pulitzer Prizes. I love that she had such an impact on how society related to architecture. Sounds like she really changed the way it was talked about and how the public thought about architecture and the city as a whole. Yeah, for sure. I think that's why I think of her and then I think of Jane Jacobs right after because they influenced each other somewhat. And mm. that's how I found out about Ada was because I had watched a documentary of Ada talking about Jane Jacobs. Um. Um, but anyway... I will encourage everyone to check out our show notes to look at the resources that I used to help tell this story, because in those links, you will find that Ada continued writing well past from stepping down from the New York Times. She would write about modern architects that you are all familiar with today, like Tadao Ando, Alvaro Siza. She also had an interesting take on Robert Venturi's writing on complexity and contradictions in architecture. Oh, that is something I would definitely like to read. Yeah, that sounds yes, good. For sure. So Ada passed away in 2013 in Manhattan, New York. Her last published column in the New York Times was in 2012. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So moment of silence. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh. <laughs> I mean, what more can we say? She was amazing. Everything she did. She worked up until the very end and she 2013 that was like last week <laughs> it was eight years ago but thank last you for week. keeping us young <laughs> wow 2013 that's not that long ago and it sounds like she kept doing what she loved until the very end exactly yep. that's for sure all right now we have reached the second half of our episode, the karyotid. Nurjadi, can you remind us what a karyotid is? You got it, chica. A karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. Each episode will choose a karyotid, a woman who is struggling today. Nope, she's not struggling. <laughs> she is working today. Sometimes she struggles, I guess. But she's also furthering the profession through the, her work and she also ties into the historical woman of our episode. All right. So this week's Carrington goes to... <laughs> Allison Keeling! <laughs> okay, so Allison Keeling is an architect based at a broader name. Allison may be the first architect to win a Pulitzer Prize. You know, the Pulitzer Prize. It's the award for journalism, books, music. Hence why our homegirl Ada won it back in 1970. Wow, that's so cool. She's killing it. 
Oh. I see what you did there. Okay. <laughs> you know how I do. <laughs> yeah. It was too easy. All right. It was right there. So through satellite imagery, Allison was able to find newly built camps in China that are believed to be detaining Muslims. So not only was she being recognized by her discovery of these camps, but also her use of satellite imagery as a form of investigative journalism. Whoa. Yeah, that's crazy. I've been reading about this conflict on the news. Yes. Okay. so for some background on Allison, though. So she was born in England, studied architecture at Cambridge and Oxford Brooks. She had worked at a few architecture, engineering and urban planning firms before starting her own practice. Before her work on investigating China, she worked on this project that sounds really cool. It's called Migration Trail where it tells the story of two European migrants through data. Allison considered herself to be a tech-based storyteller. Doesn't that sound cool? That sounds fascinating. Yeah, that's super interesting. Can we get Mm -hmm. our hands on that? Yeah, check out the show notes. Okay, so we are recording this episode in the middle of July. And at this time, it was also when I started researching about Ada and they were announcing the winner of the Pulitzer Prize. And I remember reading all this buzz because of Allison. And it just seemed like such a perfect fit for her to be the character of this episode because Allison is this architect turned writer. Yeah, I can definitely see the connection with Ada and how they both wrote about architecture in order to create change and raise awareness to the larger public. Yes, yeah. innovative change makers. Mm. This all sounds like it will be turned into a book soon, and I cannot wait to read it and see more data about this. Mm, Love me some graphics. Yes! I would love to see some charts, some data, infographics. Bring it. Satellite imagery. Google Earth it. All of it. So I'll be sure to post links of the work that she did in collaboration of to other people that helped her win this Pulitzer and this interview that I read on Architectural Record that can explain more about her work and what she does. Nice. Look forward to reading it. Yes. All right. So if you caught it on our last season wrap up, we announced our new segment that we are calling the Agora. In Greek society, the Agora was the central meeting place of the city where news was shared. We want to invite you listeners to share any exciting news that's happening in your lives so that we can share the excitement and the wins together. And while we're on the subject, let's visit the Agora. All right. We have received news that friend and listener to the show, Gabriela F., originally from Puerto Rico, has completed her ARE exams and is now qualified to become a licensed architect. Congrats, Camila. So she is still waiting on the paperwork, but I believe that by the time this episode airs, it would have become official. She would have received her stamps. So congrats, Gabriela. Yeah, this is great. We really want to continue to share great news from our listeners. If you have news to share, big or small, please send them to our email, shebuiltspodcast at gmail.com. Let's celebrate your accomplishments together. And congrats again, Gabriela. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. So before we sign off, we want to give 
major thanks to CMYK for the music, John W., our tech producer. Special shout out to our new Gable Media family for welcoming us with open arms. And most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning more about Ada and Allison along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your newspaper outlets, and your networks. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to keep learning about these amazing ladies with us. We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebillspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Ciao. 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 Arrivederci. Oh, lovely. I love that that's recorded. (laughs) Okay, so ready. (laughs) We promise we are not sick. We just have allergies. Allergies. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.